be of good cheer. When would you say such a thing? When would you feel cheery? Uh, to me, be of good cheer sounds like the sort of thing you should say at Christmas. It has that ye olde yuletide ring to it. But whenever Jesus used this phrase, there was nothing cheery about the circumstances. Let me highlight the three occasions in which Jesus used the phrase. On one occasion, Jesus said it to storm-tossed sailors about to sink. That's in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, Be of good cheer. Is that when you would say, be of good cheer? Another time Jesus said it, it was the night before he died. And he said it to his disciples, having just predicted terrible trials for them. John 16 verse 33, be of good cheer. And in Matthew chapter 9, he says it to a paralyzed man who needed four men to carry him. Son, be of good cheer. In each case, cheer would have been the last thing on people's minds. But Jesus brings something from out of this world to people who are weighed down by sorrow and sin. Let's think about the story of the paralyzed man for a minute. Matthew chapter 9 from verse 2. Some men brought to Jesus a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, be of good cheer, in the old King James translation. Be of good cheer, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. So here is a paralyzed man, completely helpless. And there is Jesus saying, Be of good cheer. Why? How? What reason does this man have to cheer up? His sins are forgiven. That's why. I wonder how you feel about Jesus' words of forgiveness here. Uh, We are liable to be shocked by his words, but not for the same reason as the crowd got shocked here. We're shocked because we think Jesus has his priorities wrong. We think, well, the first thing that this man needs is, is to walk. Jesus thinks the first thing this man needs is forgiveness. Jesus considers that being forgiven is more important than your health, more important than money, more important than getting a job or a family, all of which would have been virtually impossible for him as a paralyzed man in the first century. Jesus thinks forgiveness, even for this man, is the priority. Because if our sins remain unforgiven, it doesn't matter if we have the finest health, if we can outrun outrun Usain Bolt, if we get the greatest job, if we've got a pile of money, an adoring family, if we only have our health, we might have a terrific life and a horrendous eternity. Jesus knows what is most important. Forgiveness is the priority. That's what shocks us, Jesus' priorities. But What shocks the crowd is the fact that Jesus claims to be able to forgive sins. That is blasphemy. How can Jesus offer forgiveness? Surely only the offended party can forgive. You know, if I come across Jim and Bob having a fight, and I say, Jim, I forgive you for hitting Bob. What's Jim likely to say? Like, who are you? What's Bob likely to say? He'll say, well, I'm the one who was hit. Who are you to forgive? Well, that's a good question. The person to forgive is the person who is wronged. 
Well, here is Jesus who looks to all the world like a complete stranger to this man. And he says, I forgive you. I forgive you. And all the religious people say, well, who do you think you are? You'd have to be the offended party if you were going to forgive. Are you calling yourself the offended party, Jesus? Because if you are, then you're claiming to be God. All the religious people know that it's God who is the offended party with our sins. All our sins are ultimately against Him. Only God can forgive because all our sins are against Him. So if Jesus is forgiving a stranger's sins, who is He claiming to be? He's claiming to be God. And if He's not God, then He certainly is blaspheming. You can understand the outrage of everyone there. How will Jesus respond? Well, He backs up the divine claim with a divine act. He heals the paralyzed man so that all will know his authority to forgive. He talks the talk and he walks the walk. And so does the paralyzed man for that matter. He walks the walk right out the door. And as that man picks up his mat and goes home, he leaves as a forgiven man. He leaves with the friendship of the Son of Man. He walks under an open heaven. If we could interview this man right now, He would tell us about the day that changed his life. No doubt he would assure us of how pleased he was to have the use of his legs. No doubt the healing gave him great cheer for many years afterwards. But ask him now what gives him good cheer. And he will tell you, the forgiveness of Jesus was the crucial thing. Nothing was more important than that forgiveness. That is what gives good cheer now and into eternity. Think of all the occasions where Jesus tells people to be of good cheer. That message is for us. You might face storms, shipwreck, ruin. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. You might, like the disciples, face terrible trials in the months and years ahead. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. You, like this paralyzed man, might face debilitating ill health and not known when it will end. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. The one thing that needs to happen has happened. The one question that must be resolved has been resolved. When you have the forgiveness of Jesus, you have everything. It might take a while to inherit it, but hold on. Look to Him now in your weakness. Know His smile and His open heaven and be of good cheer.